last week uh, when we, again, we're kind of continuing in our series uh, going through the book of Acts where we are talking about the ways that God has been building his church. And again, last week, more than any, I think we really got into this idea that it is God who is building his church, that he is the one who is actively at work in all of this. He is the one who is bringing about all the results. He is the God who has been sovereign over all of this process all along, and that we don't need to you know, live in fear that the things that we do are going to break what God is planning uh, but at the same time, we don't also need to fall into complacency because we think, oh, he's going to take care of it for us. Uh, he, he's in control, yes, but we still get to be an active part of the work of his building the church in that he uses us. We are the ones that he is um, sending out and using. And, and so we ended last week talking about how God is, is sovereign over these results, but that he's also sovereign over our journey. And yes, there's so and, and there's so much joy in Christ, joy in the victory that we know He is going to give to us, the 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 celebration that comes at the end of knowing Him and following Him, and believing Him, and, and living out our lives in that way, and that He's desired and designed those of us who He's added to the church to to enjoy the riches of His grace. All of these things are true, and that's still where we're going to end up today. We're still ending with the good news part, the part where being with Christ and, and celebrating what the gospel means, right? By this, we are saved. Like we get Jesus. This is good news. Those things that we've already been singing, that Christ is ours forevermore. Like we get him forever. We get that victory. We get that, that amazing, that amazing promise that God has already given to us. That is still something that we get to receive. But as uh, Acts um, shows us, the path along the way is rarely straight and rarely safe and rarely comfortable and rarely, you know, cushy and padded and leaving you feeling perfectly confident uh, every step of the way. So if you have your Bibles this morning, you can go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 8, uh, but also go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 1 because this week, we're going to talk about the idea that God is still in control during trials and persecution. Um, and there's a temptation to take this and make it a sermon just about going through hard times. You know, just talk about trials. We're going through difficulty. Just, I mean, just like many of us are experiencing right now. And, and that's still true. And, and we, can, we can preach sermons based on there are going to be difficult times in the Christian life that we're going to kind of struggle through. But specifically this week, we're talking about the idea of suffering for your faith, physically, emotionally, socially, however we may be made to suffer just because we claim a belief in Christ. Uh, and so what we're going to see is that through the book of Acts, God is going to use persecution um, to accomplish uh, his plan, that, that he's actually working out big things through the ways that he is working out all of these things that he designed from the very beginning. And so, so the first big idea that we have this week is that trials and persecution lead to gospel explosion. Uh, and, it's, and it's worth starting here in Acts chapter 1, because that is, what, that is what Jesus promised before he went back to heaven, when he was walking around physically on earth after he was raised with 120 or so people who got to see him. Uh, he left them with this promise. In Acts 1 verse 8, he says, 
but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This plan is that the gospel would go everywhere. But, but in the beginning, at the very start, there was a lot of wait for the Holy Spirit here. And then the Holy Spirit came and the church kind of remained huddled and building uh, as they worked through some things in, in Jerusalem and, and in Antioch where the church would eventually start to spread. But, but it didn't really go everywhere. For the most part, uh, the church still kind of remained a little bit localized. It was small. It was kind of God kind of forming it, you know, in a safe place where it could kind of kind of get its start. It kind of left the training. He kind of left the training wheels on for just a little bit before, before he really was ready to send them out. But when it was time to send them out, what was the method through which he used? And this is where I, I think this point of trials and persecution lead to gospel explosion. If you're already in Acts chapter eight, I'm going to read verses one through four. It says, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Note that, throughout Judea and Samaria. Except for the apostles, devout men buried Stephen. Hold that thought, we'll come back to him in just a minute. And made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Think about that. You heard him talk about Stephen. Just a, just a chapter before, uh, one of the first deacons in the church, this guy named Stephen, was out preaching and speaking about the good news of Jesus and what that meant for everyone who had um, missed out on the fact that Jesus was actually their savior. And it was so poorly received, received with such anger that, that groups of people gathered around him, picked up stones, and killed him on the spot. Uh, and that, that scared the church. And there was, I'm sure, a lot of apprehension, but a lot of, a lot of sadness, but also a lot of um, good came as a result of that. Because like we see, that persecution rose up against the church and they were scattered throughout, again, all of Judea and Samaria. You see that, right? We just read Acts 1.8. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. So God, in Acts chapter 8, is already beginning to kind of accomplish his goal, accomplish his will, make those things happen that he has promised would, but he's using persecution. He's using these, these, these seemingly bad things that the church is facing to kind of be what, what pushes them out of the nest, if you will, out of that comfort zone. He's using that to kind of take the training wheels off and say, go be the church now. Acts chapter 11, verse 19 and 20. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who were coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. Right? So this is going beyond just uh, Judea and Samaria, right? What is it he said? Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and to the ends of the earth. And now we're seeing men of Cyprus and Cyrene, all of these people who are, who are not necessarily Jewish in, in, through their birth. So these people that were not initially connected to the church and the work of Jesus are now, the gospel is starting to spread to them as well. 
And it's a beautiful thing to think about this because, because after all this gospel spread, because of persecution that was being led by a guy named Saul, and we talked about him last week, right? Because God would save him, just like we mentioned, in one of the most elaborate demonstrations of God's ability to change someone by his own power. That he ultimately would have a new life, a new set of motivations, a new drive, that instead of being the one who's out persecuting the church, Philippians chapter 1, 12 and 13, this is Paul writing, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And so I just, I want us to hold on this idea, this idea that, that these trials and this persecution are being uh, thrown in the face of the church. And they're, they're, they're facing, some are facing imprisonment, some are facing death, uh, some are living in fear, going from house to house quietly, trying to make sure that the guards don't find them and pull them away. These are still things that the church faces today. But when we see these things happening, what does God continue to do? He continues to advance the gospel, right? It has, like Paul said, it has really served to advance the gospel, the mission that God had given them, the purpose that God had called them to, the things that God said he was going to accomplish. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Like, this is going everywhere because God wants it to, but he's doing it through what seems like a really surprising means because, because he's, he's subjecting his people to persecution. He's subjecting them to these bad things as a means of kind of spreading them out. But I want us to notice this because this is important. When the church is responded to negatively, when the church is facing these kinds of trials, the church is seeing the greatest gospel explosion it had up to that point. I mean, we talked about that last week. We talked about exponential growth in the number of churches. Like it started with 120, and then it was a couple thousand, then it was daily people being added, then multitudes and multitudes. All of these different phrases that Acts gives us are things that demonstrate just this explosion of the success of the gospel going out. But it's going out through trials and persecutions and, and things that seem um, uncomfortable. And I mean, maybe if you're experiencing it yourself, it may mean that you feel like, man, God is really treating me poorly right now. But, but that kind of brings us to the next thought that I want us to kind of recognize. And that means if you face trials and persecution, it, it really means that you're doing this right. Like if you're facing uh, pushback or, or, or even painful rejection, again, I said that could be physical, it could be emotional, it could just be social, it could be being cast out of certain social circles because of your faith. But, but if you're facing those things, it really may be that you're facing those things because you are doing this correctly. <laughs> because you are following Jesus wholeheartedly, it, it means that you're going to face these things. Uh, Acts chapter 5, uh, this is verses 40, and 40 through 42. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. It, 
it's kind of crazy to think it was a joy for the apostles to see this tangible response to their work of following Jesus. They were excited because it was like, well, we know we're saying the right things because we're meeting this level of opposition. I remember last week we talked about God being sovereign over the results. And they were joyful that there was a response. There were results that God had given them. Now, granted, you may be thinking that that set of results really doesn't sound fun to be, be called in, beaten and charged with not doing the thing you're doing, knowing that you're going to go out and immediately continue to disobey that command. But, but they were excited because they knew we're doing something for Jesus and we're facing these things head on because, because these are the things that Jesus said we would face. These, this is us accomplishing what, what living out our faith as followers of Christ looks like. Jesus had already talked to them before about what, that this would be part of their future. Uh, and, and as I read this verse, uh, the set of verses here um, from uh, Luke chapter 21, I just want you to, I want you to hear uh, these words and I want you to ask yourself if, if this sales pitch would really woo you into Christianity. But this is, this is the response that the disciples are experiencing. Luke 21 uh, verse 10 through 19. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilences. That kind of sounds familiar. I don't know if you've experienced anything like that recently. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom, that is very reassuring, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Jesus said that this was the life that the apostles were headed toward and those who would follow him. This was what you were walking into. There's this, this kind of ominous, fearful future that, that was coming and, and he wanted to not, not sugarcoat it. And I think that, that is a temptation for us sometimes to just talk about, you know, follow Jesus, everything's going to be great. And that's true, right? That was the last part of that verse. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Like you will get Jesus. You will get eternal life. Ultimately, you will not perish. Not a hair of your head will perish because God is going to keep you. But along the way, you're going to face this persecution. You're going to face these trials. You're going to face these painful and difficult things. And Jesus, Jesus warned them about this. So, so it's not surprising then when you hear from the apostles that they're facing exactly what Jesus said. That, that means that he was right yet again. And I think sometimes when we face difficult things or when we face, you know, uh, social or emotional or even physical harm because of our faith, that temptation to say, man, this is not going well. This is bad for me. We lose sight of the fact that this is, again, God being right. God's, God fulfilling a thing that he has promised to us. We're, 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 not, we're not experiencing something that should be surprising to us, but rather this is God accomplishing his will. And we should rejoice just like the apostles 
that they were facing something that Jesus said they would because it meant that he was right. It meant that Jesus, I mean, in a sense, it meant that he was winning again because Jesus knew exactly what would happen and this was what they were seeing happen. If you're still in Philippians, uh, Paul kind of echoes that same idea. He said in Philippians 1.29, it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. But he also taught that it would be worth it. The suffering, the things that you would have to go through would ultimately lead to the best possible outcomes for us. The fact that we're going through that and the fact that there's this gospel explosion as a response to it is a good thing because more people are getting to know Jesus. More people are being added to the church, added to the body of Christ. Yes, it's coming at the cost of our physical or our social or our emotional uh, short-term comfort, but but in the end, that is what that is what is best. That is the only real path that's going to take us toward actual victory in Christ. That is the thing that because that's the thing that God is has designed for us to experience so that he could accomplish all that he had already preordained would happen throughout all of human history. Um, and, and talking about this big idea of God being, having, you know, control over all of human history and working out his plan and all of this, there, there's no better example that I could give you than, than something from the MCU, obviously. Um, so, I mean, if you think about it, I'm going to, I'm going to spoil it. These movies are old now, not too old. They're only a couple years old, but but so, so I'm not going to give everything away, but you got in, in, in Infinity War, right? So we're what, two, three years out from Infinity War now. So in Infinity War, right, there's this moment where, where Doctor Strange is sitting there and he's going through all these like six, however many, I can't remember the number. There are, there are people that have that number memorized. Millions and millions of potential future outcomes. And they ask him, how many of them do we win? And he said, just one. And right after that, there's a lot of bad stuff that happens to a lot of the good guys, right? But the only way that they were going to actually get to the point where they win, the only way where, where the victory would ultimately come was going to come at a lot of cost for a lot of people along the way. It wasn't going to be smooth sailing everywhere. The only plan that was going to work out in that timeline was the one where people suffered and the one where people died and the one where everything seemed to be uh, as bad for our heroes as it could have possibly been. Uh, so it's crazy to think that finding joy in rejection and persecution uh, and pain and abandonment is possible or that God would even desire that for his people. But, uh, and this is kind of my last big point for the morning, but embracing trials and persecution demonstrates a passionate love for Christ. Uh, Philippians chapter 3 verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. And this is the big point because when we face these things, we face these things knowing that the worst thing that could happen to us is we suffer, we die. But in the end, we get Jesus. And that, is, should, be, that should be far more worthwhile, far more meaningful to us than any level of comfort or safety or consistency that we might fight to maintain here. 
because because Jesus, and this is the point that he's making, Jesus is worth so much more than anything else. Paul is saying, I would give away everything, every experience, every amount of safety for the sake of the name of Jesus because I find him to be the sweetest, most um, joy-giving, most life-giving, most amazing thing that I could experience or have. And so as we embrace these things that, that Acts has already demonstrated, that God is going to use these, these trials, these difficult times, these painful experiences, these, these things where we're being rejected by society. And, and, and again, we don't experience all of that the same way here in this country um, as the apostles did. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we can't or we won't or we shouldn't expect to starting today, tomorrow, or the next day. Um, but we have to be asking ourselves this question ahead of time. Is Jesus your ultimate joy? Is, is sharing what you have experienced, what you know about Jesus, the most worthwhile thing in your life? Something that you would be willing to let go of everything for the sake of his name, for the sake of talking about the good news that he has already demonstrated for you. The church you, me, any of us are going to face persecution. And there will be temptation uh, to wither, to, to step back and say it's not worth it, or to, to shriek back in fear, to desire to appease others, to say, I want to be socially accepted, so I'm going to kind of go with the flow. I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to kind of speak into this society in a way that makes, me feel, makes them feel like I'm more one of them. Or we might want to curl up and hide. Or, or, or go lock our doors and protect ourselves from any potential negative outcomes. But, but the Christian life is one that contains risk. You know, I said at the very beginning, uh, we can't expect the journey, like God is in control of that result, but we don't expect the journey to be a wide and straight path, right? Jesus taught us that. The, the road to heaven is not wide and straight, but it's, it's small and narrow and windy, and there are briars and branches and and, and rocks and things to have to fight through along the way. It's not, it's not the easier path for while we are here. It is, it is a risky thing to follow Christ. It was risky for the apostles to walk away from careers and family to follow Jesus. It was risky for Stephen to continue preaching the gospel as the crowd began to pick up stones and bare their teeth at him and become more and more angry. There will be some level of risk whenever we as the church start to meet together again physically. I mean, it, there will be risk physically for us being together. There'll be risk societally for us when, when some who don't feel comfortable with people being together again amidst this, this pandemic that we've been facing, maybe look down on the church for, for setting aside some of the safety for the sake of pursuing taking the gospel to those who aren't able to hear it while we've all been separated in this way. There's going to be risk in that. But what's not risky is finding joy in Jesus, like, like true joy. We should, we should trust in his sovereignty. He continues to prove himself to be right. He said they were going to face persecution. They faced persecution. He said the gospel is going to go around the world. The gospel began to go around the world. He said, I'm going to build my church. And the church exploded. His ability to spread the gospel through trials should lead us to trust him during the trials and the persecution that we may face 
even today. We were memorizing this on Sunday nights, and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna leave us with this this morning. Uh, it's gonna be up on the screen, but if you don't need it, you're welcome to close your eyes and try to say it with me. James 1, 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That is our joy, that we are lacking in nothing because we have Jesus, because Jesus is greater than anything that we could face right now or into the future. Jesus is the, the joy of knowing that we get Jesus should, should overwhelm and overcome everything that you may be facing in your life, anything that we are facing in our society right now. Any fear that we have is overcome by the power of the Holy Spirit and the joy of knowing Christ. Because, because we get Jesus. Even if, even if we were to all catch COVID, even if it was to spread through the whole church and it get really bad, in the end, if we are in Christ, that is greater. That is more life-giving and we should still find joy in him that he should, he should allow us to suffer for the sake of his name. Now, I'm not saying we should take unnecessary risk and, and set aside all wisdom. That same passage in James right after that talks about if you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives wisdom, right? We should still be wise. We should make wise decisions. I'm not saying we should, we should find dangerous things. We shouldn't, we shouldn't hold knives and scissors and run around the house with blindfolds and roller skates. Like that's not what I'm saying. But, but when we see that making a decision to pursue Christ and pursue the gospel leads us towards something potentially uncomfortable or dangerous or something that we feel like we can't control, that's okay. Because we talked about that last week. We're not in control anyways. And our joy is in Christ. And the way that we face trials just demonstrates our passionate love for Jesus. And so is that true of you? Is Jesus your ultimate joy? Are you able to find joy even when you're facing difficult things, even when you're facing trials, even when you talk about Jesus and you are rejected because of it. Maybe you're not facing physical persecution for the sake of following Jesus, but that doesn't mean he won't cause you to face that. It doesn't mean that that is not something in your future, but that is still one of the ways that he is building his church. He is still creating a body of Christ that, that is growing closer to him because they are willing to sacrifice and, and, and face whatever they must for the sake of his name. And so I want those of us who are in Christ to ask ourselves, is that where our joy is? Are we willing to pursue Jesus and find joy in him no matter what the risk may be? Because, because I can promise you again, following Jesus is going to lead to pain and suffering and persecution and all these bad things at some point. But Jesus is worth it. And I want us to ask ourselves, do we really believe that he is? And if we don't, I want us to ask, are we actually following him? And maybe, maybe that's you. Maybe you don't follow Jesus. Maybe you don't really know Jesus. And if that's you and you're like, this is the worst sales pitch for following Jesus I've ever heard. Let me tell you, the joy that comes at the end of this 
is so much greater than whatever it is that we may face now. Because here's the thing, even if you don't follow Jesus and you don't face persecution, we're still living in this broken world that is filled with sin and is filled with problems. But to know that we have that hope in him is so much greater because he's already faced the greatest amount of trial and persecution with us because he allowed himself to be beaten and bruised and mocked and rejected and killed. And that is so much more worth it than anything that we could face to know that he has gone through these things with us so that we can be with him forever. Let's pray. God, I just pray that um, you would take this truth, this, this confidence that we have in knowing that anything that we face that seems bad, we have faced because you have designed for us to face it and that you will see us through it. Sure, it might mean pain, it might mean death, but that is still not the worst thing that could happen for us because it means then we get to be with you forever. And so God, I pray for those who are maybe unsaved, don't know Jesus, that, that you would, through the power of your Holy Spirit, open their eyes, open their hearts to see and know you um, and understand the, the hope that we who follow Christ have because he's already done so much for us. And so, God, I pray for those of us who are in Christ also, that you would strengthen the joy that we have in you, that you would, you would set aside the fears that we may be experiencing, the things that we may be um, the, 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 the temptation to kind of sink back and not pursue um, complete surrender to taking the gospel because of the risk that comes with following you. And God, I just pray that you would, that you would work in us a miracle, fill us with confidence and hope and, and take away our fear of the world. But instead, let us just be so overwhelmed with the fear of you, a desire to please you, a desire to demonstrate our love for you and to face whatever we must for your name's sake. God, I thank you for what you have done and that you have not said we would go through this and not been willing to go through this yourself, but that you allowed your son to face all of this along with us so that, so that we, could, we could be like him in this way. And God, I pray that you would continue to make us more and more like him um, as we become closer to him through the power of your Holy Spirit. I thank you for Jesus and what he's done for us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.